0: Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Hi, this is Ben. Welcome to a very special bonus episode. This is actually a recording of a live event that I moderated on Clubhouse on April 23rd it was a panel discussion and Q&A called To Hustle or To Work-Life Balance. And it featured Rahaf Harfoush, a strategist, digital anthropologist, and the best-selling author of Hustle and Float, Reclaim Your Creativity and Thrive in a World Obsessed with Work. And Scout Sobel and Matty Mayo, the co-hosts of OKSYS Podcast. And this event was actually inspired by a Instagram story that I saw Scout post the previous weekend about how she's in this unique phase in her career where she's ramping up her work days to eight to 12 hour days and has made the commitment to work on Saturdays pretty regularly and in the process she has had to turn away some requests from friends and family some social requests and that led her to experience a bit of shame initially before she came to terms with processing her final thoughts on things. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting because this is a question I've thought about a lot as well. How do we find work-life balance? I'm someone in my 20s, should I be working really hard right now? Where, where does this all come down? And I was really excited that we were able to put this event together with three speakers who all had a really unique, cool perspective to bring to the table. And it was a great opportunity to hear from listeners, And hear their questions as well. These kinds of weekly conversations are going to be happening every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So I encourage you to check them out if you're able to join us. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. And my question to you to start, Rahaf, is where do you draw the line between admirable perseverance toward a goal like the kind that Scout is talking about and what can be perceived as unhealthy hustle or what we've talked about as toxic hustle culture?
1: Then that's a really great question. I think that I draw the line when you start to see other parts, key parts of your life suffer. So, um, you know, a lot of people say they're pursuing big ambitious goals and they have these big dreams and these big plans, but they are burned out. Their health is not great, they're not um spending enough time with their family and friends. They are, you know, like if you were to ask them. Like, are you happy with the way things are? Are you satisfied with the way that your life is? Generally speaking, your, their answers are going to be no. Um, And so it's, and this is why it makes it so hard because every person is so unique that they need, they have their own performance cycles. They have their own uh, habits. They have their own strengths and weaknesses, their own rhythms, their own cycles. And so it's really, it's really hard to kind of take a minute, look at your own life and say, okay, well you know, my health is suffering. So clearly, I need to scale something back to me. Honestly, health is generally the first big red flag, because that is something that you can lose so easily. And so unthinkingly, and then that can take months and months and months to get back. So the second the health, you know, the sleep starts to go, the quality of sleep, the stress level goes up, the anxiety goes up. And then there's burnout, we can talk, we can get into burnout later. But there's a wide variety of both physical and psychological symptoms. That, to me, is a very clear, very early red flag that the current system isn't working.
0: I think that's a really interesting distinction between, you know, burnout and what you find fulfilling. And I think that is something that Scout touched on. And I'd love to hear more, Scout, because you talked about how you actually are finding fulfillment right now at this stage in your career from putting in an 8 to 12 hour day to launch your business forward. But you know, there will be a time where things shift and you'll go to slower days and that's okay too. Could you talk a little bit about that cycle that you've come accustomed to?
2: Yeah, I think something Rahaf that you said that is so clear is that the system is, if the system is working or if it's not working. So I have come to a place where I, I did burn out and I burnt out hard at a job I had to quit. I had to take basically a year off because I was just so physically, mentally, intellectually, emotionally drained. And in that experience, I saw what happens when you work constantly. And I saw the great results that come when you really, really push forward. And I saw a little bit of, to an extent, the reality of of the workload that comes when you have a really, really big dream. And so in that experience of complete and utter burnout that, I mean, I was like, I couldn't even work, you know, for a long time. I recognize now what I need to do to take care of myself. And so when I now I'm getting into this, this area of my life where I do have a pretty lofty goal, because I'm just someone who, um, when I have an idea has to extract it from my mind, I'm a generator in human design. So eight to 12 hour days actually do biologically fill us up, which is really, really great to see. But I think the key here is that I created a system. So I willingly entered into 4 months, 4 to 6 months of a little bit more of an intense workload, a little bit more of an intense schedule, and in doing so, I now have the foresight since I have burnt out to say, okay, how do I take care of my health? Where is the fat that I can cut that isn't serving me and my goals right now and where can I get very very intentional with my time? So while i'm working these longer days and working on saturdays you better believe my mornings are clear no phone i'm journaling i'm going on long walks i'm pulling cards i'm eating really healthy i get 8 to 9 hours of sleep no matter how how much i work and so i think that the way i'm approaching this phase of my life with which i'm really proud of the way i am the systems that i'm putting in place is that OK, for the next four to six months, as I launch my book, as I create a course for my agency, et cetera, what do I need from a health standpoint to take care of myself? And so there's some things i got to give. Right. And for me, the social interaction with some friends is the thing that I'm willing to let go of a little bit. But being really, really strict about when I'm not working, making sure that that time is spent really intentionally resting, really doing things that fill up my cup you know, treating my body right, etc. So that when nine to five, nine to six, nine to seven plus starts, I feel rejuvenated, inspired, and it feels as if I'm taking care of myself.
0: So a theme that I'm already hearing come up is that it looks different for each individual, what hustling looks like looks different, what work life balance looks like is different to each individual. And Scout, you're in a partnership with Maddie. So part of your system involves finding finding some compromise finding common ground finding common times to work together with a partner in maddie for okay sis maddie how have you found how have you made sure that what works for you is also aligned with what's working for your co-host
3: oh ben what a loaded question i have so many thoughts on this topic i'm so happy that you organized this panel around this because Scout and I, we are sisters, IRL, so that adds, you know, an added element and layer to our podcast and the business that we conduct together. Scout and I have very, very different work ethics. Um, She ascribes to hustle culture, whereas I do not. Um, I think it is extremely toxic. And it's strange because I've, I've actually been ruminating a lot on this topic of feeling this duality, right? And I I guess it always comes back to kind of this work-life balance. Like we feel like in work, we have to be this, you know, pragmatic, organized, serious person. And then in life, the balance is like, oh, okay, now we get to, you know, take the edge off, we can go out with our friends, we're a little sillier, and and we take a deep breath. And just that whole notion of like, there's two sides to us. I don't think Scout and I have ever ascribed to, right? We blend a lot of this. And we also feel as women and as people who are starting companies, we are able to redefine what that looks like in the workplace, right? I, I've never wanted to work at a company where I can't be my 100% authentic self. I think that we are moving towards like a revolution in the workplace where we can blend all of these different facets and energies within each other. And, you know, I was actually, you know, shameless plug on my recent YouTube channel video, I talked exactly about this, I struggle a lot with this duality, I feel like there's a part of me that is extremely business oriented. I actually also this morning did Lacey Phillips' is To Be Magnetic, um, I'm Doing Her Unblocking Money, and she talks a lot about, she defines it as masculine worth energy and feminine worth energy. And it's not necessarily gendered, because every gender has uh, both of these energies and qualities, but there's a masculine worth energy that's more empowered, determined, you know, detail-oriented, more serious, and, and hustle culture kind of um, arena. And then the feminine worth energy is creative and gentle and more a little more loving. And I've always wanted to integrate both of those sides to myself. I never understood why they had to live separately through work and then through life. Why can't they be integrated into this beautiful just <laughs> life that I'm living? Um, so... I think there's just, there's a lot there in terms of the way that we balance all of those dualities of ourselves. But yeah, I don't I don't ascribe to hustle culture, never have, um, I don't think your worth is also defined by your productivity. I think Scott and I also talk a lot about busy culture, which I think is a whole nother topic we can kind of discuss later on as well. I don't think it's productive to brag about how busy you are. Busy bragging is a huge issue on social media. Um, You know, making sure that people know that you are productive every moment of every day. It's really a shame that we have felt like this has to be the way that we portray our lives. So... That's kind of my my spiel, Scout. I see. Okay. Yeah. Decides. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in real fast. Oh, so, real fast. Yeah, we're going. We're going. So
2: you know, I just want to challenge Mads a little bit, right? And I would love actually Rahaf to weigh in on the different in opinions here. Is that Mads is anti hustle culture, but Mads is hustling, right? Like Mads is up till one AM editing her YouTube. Mads is doing podcasts. Mads is doing her app. She's working all the time, and so. While I think it's interesting that she doesn't prescribe to hustle culture, she really does hustle. And I think that maybe we equate hustling with toxicity, which is, which is the where, where I'm kind of wanting to take a step back. Because I see Mads as a hustler. She's grinding, she's doing all the things, and they're all beautiful, healthy, dream-pursuing activities. Um, and so why are we so quick to say yeah, I hustle, but like, I don't prescribe to hustle culture, right? Like, where, where is that dynamic? I mean,
1: okay, I, I think maybe it's important to define a couple of the terms, because I think that people kind of throw them around a lot. So like, hustling in and of itself, isn't bad. Like, Working hard isn't bad and going all out for periods of time isn't bad. The problem, so like hustling in and of itself isn't bad. It becomes problematic when just like any other behavior, uh, you do it to the extreme without the proper replenishment time, the proper recovery time. And hustle culture, specifically within the context of toxic productivity, is the idea that the only path to success is to hustle nonstop. And is to work nonstop, and that any time not spent hustling, is actually interpreted as a lack of motivation, a lack of desire, a lack of what it takes. So that's kind of the first piece. The second piece that I think is really interesting is that is busy culture is actually rooted in some very deep sociological behavior, and there's a behavior in particular that I've talked about often on Clubhouse. It's a phenomenon that's called work devotion. And work devotion is a series of both verbal and physical signals that we have developed as a modern-day working species, where we signal to each other that we deserve our success by verbalizing and sharing and showing our struggle and sacrifice for our job. So when you say, oh, I'm really busy, when you're proud of having a jam-packed calendar, when you brag about only getting four hours of sleep, when you do those behaviors, It's not just you being really annoying, because like, let's be honest, it is really annoying. But what you're actually saying is if you dig deeper on the cultural level, you're actually saying, I'm important, and I really am motivated, and I deserve my success, and I'm invested in my future, so like, please look at me and please acknowledge the fact that I'm investing in this. And to Maddie's point, she's absolutely right, the root cause of this is that we have, through The mishmash of historical factors, productivity system factors, like things that we brought forward from the Industrial Revolution, things that we brought forward from the Puritan work ethic, you know, in different contexts, the different iterations of the American dream essentially all fused together and created this really complicated inner core belief that your self-worth is linked to how hard you work, that your hard work is the only thing that determines your success not privilege, not socioeconomic factors, not market conditions, not luck, not serendipity, not your network, not the family you're born into, just your hard work. And that if you're, for whatever reason, you're not successful based on these aspirational garbage quotes we see on Instagram, then it's because it's your fault because you don't have the right productivity app. You're not waking up early enough and you're not staying up late enough hustling. So those are the distinctions. But I want to clarify, the reason I want to clarify it is because I think that many people, when they ask me to talk about hustle and float, they're like, but you need to work hard. It's like no one's saying don't work hard. I just think our own understanding as high-performing, ambitious creatives is that we're using systems that were never designed for the type of work that we do. So hustling for if Scout wants to work a 12-hour day, I don't think, like, neurologically, the science says that she can't work a 12-hour day nonstop, right? Like, productivity culture says you work nonstop. But maybe she works for three hours and takes an hour yoga class, and then she works another two hours, and she does another whatever. Like, hustling doesn't mean that you hustle for eight hours and then you relax. What we're learning about how our brain and how our energy levels respond is that we're doing these microcycles of unhustle and, and float throughout the day. So many people think, oh, I'm going to work eight hours straight. I'm going to just like do it all, pedal to the metal. I'm going to be exhausted by the end of the day, and that's fine. And now we're starting to see from a productivity research perspective that there is an alternative where you don't reach the end of the week or the end of the day completely exhausted and drained, that there are opportunities with intentional recovery to fuel yourself during the day in a way that allows you to do the six-month sprints that Scout needs to do in order to prepare for the launch of her book.
2: Sorry, can I ask a very quick question, Rahaf? And I, I don't know the answer and I've been really struggling to find the answer in the, the busy bragging. How, how do you talk about things? Like, for example, my grandma wants to get lunch, but this is just just factually, my calendar is currently booked for two weeks around lunchtime. So how do you talk about the fact that you aren't currently flexible with your schedule because you are very busy without busy bragging. Does that make sense? I don't know how to talk about it. I mean, we're not, I mean, the the nuances
1: here are what's important. There's a difference between saying, Hey, would love to have lunch with you, you know, my next availability is whatever. And then there's a difference between when somebody says or when a group of friends, I noticed this in friend chats um, a lot, you you get into these almost like competitions, like who has more going on, right? It's not about saying, hey, like, I've got my calendar booked, or hey, I've got, you know, whatever. It's just it's the way that you talk about it when you're just like, oh, got so much going on. I've got so much stuff. I'm in back to back meetings. I was in 12 hours of zoom calls today. I had, you know, 18 things on my to do list. It's when you're looking for that validation. When you are doing all of these actions, what you're actually doing is you're looking for someone to say, wow, you're so busy. So I guess the question to you is like, the good test is what reaction are you looking for? If it's a factual exchange, if I'm just like, hey, scout, when can you have lunch? And you're like, hey, my next free date is in two weeks. That's very different then the conversation, if your intent is that you, what you're actually seeking, which is why it requires a bit of reflection and introspection, what you're actually seeking is somebody to validate the fact that you're busy because you want to be seen as somebody who is invested in her success, who is building up her business, who is making the sacrifices, because those are the things that we've been told are required of us if we want to attain this aspirational level that we see where we're worshiping like certain figures in our culture. The only other thing I will mention, and this is not—you um, don't have to like respond to this—but my, I see my friend uh, LGO, my work wife, as I call her, is in the audience, and she talks a lot about. We both talk a lot about this idea of putting it, like, owning your calendar and putting things into your calendar that account for flexibility and account for priority. Now, this is an absolutely non-judgmental. Um, statement that I'm going to make. So like, I'm genuinely just saying it with nothing. But the real question for you is, what kind of life do you want to live in terms of the priority that and the flexibility you want to have to be able to say to your grandma, despite the fact that your schedule is booked up, that your schedule in its planning has enough flexibility that if your grandma did want to have lunch or did want to meet or did something that there is that flexibility to move around. Because often when I work with entrepreneurs, when I work with high achieving women, when I work with people that have big ambitious goals, it's the problem in the system and it's the problem in the strategy of how they organize their time and whether or not that organization reflects the priority of what they want. So that's the two really things. I don't know if that answered your question. It's like, what feeling? are you getting from like, what are you requesting? Really? Like really stop and think about what you're saying that you need or what you're trying to say when you're being busy versus just being factual. And the second thing is, is your calendar and is your busyness actually aligned with the flexibility that you might need to accommodate things like family members that want to, you know, that want to have dinner with you or that want to have lunch with you?
0: I want to jump in real quick before we get to questions, which is this is something Maddie and I have talked about because she works in an organization where people will frequently throw something onto her calendar. And so she'll wake up one morning and maybe the night before she had an opening between 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., for example. And she'll wake up and she'll see that time slot is pretty much gone now because something was slated onto her calendar by her coworkers. And something that we've talked about is hey, Maddie, if you want to actually get work done during the day and not be on, Zoom meetings all the time. Let's, let's try this experiment, just putting in busy in your calendar. So that gives you the opportunity to show up to those meetings energized and having gotten the work done to carry yourself well in those meetings. And Maddie, you can jump in and tell me if you found that to be effective.
3: Of course. I mean, it's definitely been effective uh, just because people then don't put stuff on my calendar that I don't approve. But I mean, to get back to the whole systems in place, and, uh, you know, the structure that we've kind of been enslaved in, in terms of work, I feel very bad when I put a big block of busy on my calendar and block it off. It's something I don't know if it's a woman thing, and I'm trying to people please or I try to want to be available to everyone at all times, but I feel shame around putting that block. And of course, it's helped me and it frees up a lot of my time, thank God, just to kind of actually get work done instead of yeah being in those back to back Zooms. But it's boundary setting and it feels uncomfortable. It feels awkward. It feels, you know, it doesn't feel it's out of your comfort zone. And I'm working on that. And I think that's something that a lot of women, I know that Scout has been working a ton with boundary setting and expectations and availability. You know, it's like, I just saw this meme or a tweet the other day that was like, don't mistake my free time for available time like this is like normalize not, you know, inserting yourself into my free time when you just think I'm available during that time, like no, my free time is for me to re energize to recharge, um, to do that intentional rest. So I think it's a great tip for sure. But there is just like, yeah, a psychology behind, <laughs> behind it wh- that I go through internally when I, when I put that block on my calendar.
2: It's so fascinating to me. And I think that maybe this is why I have such a hard time with this conversation because Mads feels like I don't feel shame if I'm not productive and not working really hard. I really don't. I feel shame when I tell my friends and family I can't hang out because I'm focusing on me. And so it's almost the reverse for me. And then I feel shame that I'm choosing to hustle. I know you said, Rahat, that you know, hustling in itself is not bad. But for me, when I think about the type of life I want, like at the end of last year, I wanted that flexibility. I wanted to be able to just go to lunch with a friend and family member. And now, actually, like when my grandma asks me for lunch, if anyone's listening that knows my grandma, I love her and I want to see her. But right now, that feels more like an obligation versus something that I'm energetically available for at this moment. And so it's just so interesting how where we feel shame within our calendar. And is it in the work area or is it in the life area? For me, it's more the life area. And it's just interesting. It's interesting to see where we we feel pressure in some areas.
0: Go ahead, Rahaf, go ahead.
1: But I think you guys are getting to the core of it. And this is the thing that's so often overlooked, which is people think, oh, I can fix this feeling with a calendar approach or with an app or with a methodology. And you're actually revealing that you're hitting on much deeper issues, shame, self-worth, validation, recognition, self-love, acceptance, all of those things. I would say, though, that there are what I think is really important is to just always remind yourself of the things that you think are the most important. And there's a book that, you know, I talk about all the time because it really changed the way I think about things. And it was The Five Regrets of the Dying. And I don't know if any of you have have read this book. It's amazing. It was written by a hospice nurse who was at the bedside of hundreds of people who were terminally ill who were dying. And she was there to hear sort of over the years. things that they regretted. And essentially, she heard the same thing. They were like five themes. And one of the theme was, you know, I wish that I had let myself be happy. I wish that I had lived a life that more resembled like who I was as a person. I wish I spent more time with family members. And one of the other ones was I wish that I didn't work so much. And so, you know, I think about this a lot, because I think we get so brainwashed with these different types of, you know, systems for, for shame, or if I'm not available to these people, if I'm not doing this, if I'm not doing that. But in reality, like we have such little time and tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And I mean, you know, a scout, like the family obligation thing, I hear you and I hear it. And I think so many of us can relate, but honestly, like my grandmother passed away years ago and there is literally not a project that I would not let slide and a meeting i would not drop and a commitment i would not flake on a work commitment if i had the opportunity to spend more time with her today and it's that type of prioritization where sometimes i feel like we get judged for this judged for that and we don't even ask ourselves like what is the reason that we're doing all of this do i feel seen do i have a community do i feel valued do i am i doing something that is reflective of who i am am i investing in the relationships that are going to add value to my life over the long term and so many people skip that because that's uncomfortable and it's hard and it requires, ironically enough, a lot of work. And instead we say, ah, you know what I need? I need to hustle harder and I need to use this new app and I need to get my to-do list in order. The last thing I'll say really quickly is that, I Ben, your idea of blocking off time is actually one of the biggest recommendations I give people. And it's not just times when you're busy, it's times where I do this on my calendar where I will put in, flexible hours that I can move around for the things that are actually important whether it's meal prepping or calling a friend to catch up or you know doing a workout or whatever it is like I put those things in my calendar first I put my writing time first and everything else just kind of fits around there and then you kind of find out that technology has given us this expectation that everybody is available that everything is urgent and everything needs an instant response but the reality is, is that's not true people don't mind waiting. If somebody says, hey, Maddie, can we meet today at three, unless there's like a legit emergency. If you say no, can we actually meet tomorrow at this time? Like, I feel like that's going to be fine most of the time. But I don't know what you guys think about all of that.
0: Yeah, I'll throw in my two cents real quick before we get to Harold's question, which is, there's something you said a while ago, Rahaf, that I really agree with, which is not all time is created equal either. So for example, you're a night person. So you like to designate tasks where you need to be more mentally engaged at that time, nighttime, when you know you'll perform those tasks better. So you might block off that time for yourself. I might be more of a morning person. So if I know between breakfast and lunch is my most productive window, that's the time that I'll block off for myself to do writing or whatever task requires mental engagement. So it's not just, let me designate three or four hours. There's also a component of what is the best three or four hours for this? Because if I try to do writing between three and seven, I might not be as productive as if I try to do it in my most productive morning window. So that's something that I think about all the time too. So let's get to questions now because we've given a lot of food for thought, and just a reminder that this is being recorded. So if you come up to the this stage, this will be part of the grand recording. Uh, Harold, I'm going to allow you to uh, to go ahead and ask your question.
4: Yeah, um, it's not really a question; it's maybe also a, a comment. Um I mean, I'm a bit older probably than uh, most of the speakers and listeners here, so I actually learned by doing or making errors. And one of the best books that I have read about this topics is uh, The Seven Habits. And it resonates very well with everything that has been said before, that you really have to find out what is really important for you in life. In that book, it's seven areas. And the the trick that I do, I I block time in my calendar, but I also uh, give those blocks different colors. So, for instance, family or friends or or sports or hobby work, of course, as well. And then what I usually do um, when I have planned my week or look back at the previous week, I look, has my week been colorful which means um, all the areas that are important for me, have I sort of done this or was I too much uh, work uh, loaded and so forth? And um, yeah, for me, that works really well. And I have to also admit that in the beginning, when I, for instance, uh, blocked during normal work hours time for even sports or or doing shopping with my wife or so, that I really felt guilty when then um, someone wanted to have a meeting during that time. and But this guilt vanished uh, over time. So now I'm pretty cool about it. Uh, I know this is also important for me. So no,
0: I like that colorful approach. It's, it's the, you know, what we hear from nutritionists is make sure you're having a colorful meal because you're probably getting different nutrients. And I like that approach to your schedule. Something we've been talking about is kind of the micro schedule. So your daily or weekly schedule. Rahaf, I've heard you talk about how you, you, live, in, you live in France and you, it's, you take August off. And that's something that is, that is very common in Europe, not as common somewhere like the US where we rarely use up all of our sick days. In a, in a calendar year. So I'm curious how you think people can can get more comfortable with this, especially in what I think will be more hybrid situations where I am really curious, you know, if a company says, hey, you have the option of coming in or working remotely, I'm really concerned that the people who opt to work remote, which I think will skew toward women, uh, they, they will probably be held back because if you're an employer, you see Bob at the office And you think, oh, okay, Bob is probably being more productive because I see him being more productive every day, as opposed to your remote worker who is probably being just as productive, if not more so, but you're not physically seeing them in the office and you might not give them the same weight. Does that question make sense?
1: The conversation about work devotion this is work devotion shows up in the extreme in remote work because you can't see people there. So you have to communicate with your digital body language, right? You've got to send messages and emails and have a full calendar so that if, you know, so that if your colleagues look at what you're doing, they're like, oh, wow, you know, she's very active and sending emails at all hours of the day and night. Like these are the ways we signal that we're working um, during the the hybrid uh, d- during remote work. I think the, the biggest shift that people can make is to recognize that intentional recovery, like taking breaks. And I don't mean like, oh, you're going to step away from your laptop and you're going to you know, have a quick coffee while looking at your phone. I mean, like really taking a break away from devices, destimulating your brain. That is a part of key performance. And I actually just had a version of this conversation with my friend uh, LGO today, where I said to her, we were talking about the, the projects we're both working on, I said to her, you know, like, just because you're not at your computer physically typing doesn't mean that your brain turned off, right? It doesn't mean that you your brain stops working, that you're, you stop thinking about the ideas you have or the projects that are going on or the, the chapter that you have to write. So like, just because you're not physically actively working as a creative doesn't mean that your brain stops. And what I actually found in my experience is that when I do take August off, and I was very against this at first because I was super brainwashed by work hustle culture. But when I actually ended up taking the month of August off, it actually ended up being one of my most creative months ever. Because I said, I'm not going to do any work, I'm not going to be in my inbox. And I didn't, but I did take a notebook with me. And I just filled that notebook with so many ideas, and chapter notes and bullets and outlines and things like I still pull ideas from that first notebook, because it was jam packed. And then it became sort of a tradition. And so what people don't realize is that we have been trained to, to only see the tangible part of the work process, which means, can I physically see you working? Can I see your email? Can I see your PowerPoint deck? Can I see your chapter? But in order to get to that point, there's a whole intangible part of the process, the thinking part, the, the part where you're mulling things over, the part where you're daydreaming, the part where you are like just turning a problem over in your mind and you're just trying to figure it out from different angles. And I always ask people, and I'll ask you guys, and so like feel free to answer, but what are you doing when you do get your good ideas? Like what are you doing when you get your good ideas?
2: I'm journaling in the morning. Which is why I give space every single morning, two to two and a half hours in the morning to sit in that quiet, quote unquote, unplugged journaling space, because I totally understand the incredible importance of just stopping and being. And so journaling for me is where I get a lot of my really, really great ideas every morning.
3: Yeah, I get most of my ideas either from the manifestation work that I do and the meditations in the morning. And then additionally, I know this is like not a, you know, kosher answer, but I get a lot of inspiration from social media. I get a lot of ideas in terms of, you know, how I'm going to apply it to the community of OKSIS with our podcast. I, I get a lot of inspiration from viewing other communities, digital communities that I feel very a part of and I feel this great connection with. Um, you know, also obviously podcasts. Whenever I listen to more business oriented podcasts, I get a slew of you know just I'm thinking in a different way, and they bring up so many different ideas that I I haven't even you know processed. And then I just you sit there in like awe of like all these amazing strategies that I'm I'm wanting to implement. So I don't know. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on if gaining. If, I don't know because I totally get it. We need to be away from our phones and you know have some more intentional uh thinking and daydreaming time but is it bad that I also get a get a lot of um amazing inspiration from social media or is that something that
2: no it's not bad if if something gives you inspiration I mean this is where this is where I think maybe um I don't know where where I feel a little uncomfortable in some of the situations is like you have to find what works for you, right? So if social media fuels you up, you have to understand like the root of that. And if it really does fill you up, like, you know, Rahaf talks about what are your priorities and right now my priority is my work. And that's what I've chosen for myself. And I feel really, really good about that. And so the ability to understand what works best for you, like Mads, I know you find so much inspiration on TikTok. So mm-hmm to remove that from your life because you quote unquote, people are saying that social media is bad and you need to be away from your phone and still might not serve you all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, I I just want to clarify because I think a clarification is probably important. So there's two different types of things that I'm talking about. There's the type of destimulating break, which people need to take during the day. And that could be for something like, um, that could be 10 minutes, by the way, 15 minutes where you don't have a device in front of you, and this is um, not about social media. It's actually just about the notifications on the phone, the stimulation. It's just about giving your brain, like the your actual brain, the chance to just de-stimulate a little bit and kind of like calm down. And then there's like all the different ways that you seek inspiration. And I don't think you should cut social media um, out completely. Like, hello, <laughs> we're on Clubhouse. I'm on all, all the socials, and especially if you're very intentional with your time there, and it's something that's inspiring. I think that's great for you. And I think you should absolutely do that if, as um, Scout said, it, like, it fills you up and if, it, if you find it rewarding. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes we, as productive creatives, we don't understand like the mechanics of what our physical brain needs in order to reset and replenish. And we live in a world where if you have your phone by your bed, you are literally, unless you have a morning routine, unless you're journaling, unless you have time where you're specifically not in front of your device, many people are from the minute they wake up until the minute they go to sleep, they are looking at a screen, they're looking at a device, they're getting notifications, even just like listening to podcasts, which is great. I listen to a ton of podcasts, like even that think about when in your day is your brain not receiving some sort of stimulation. And so what they're starting to find out now in terms of neuroscience is you don't have to cut all that stuff out. But like, maybe you just want to take like in your day, you want to take like two 10 minute breaks where you put everything down and I'm not even saying you meditate you just literally sit and stare at a wall and just just let your brain come down from the constant stimulation. I just wanted to distinguish because I'm not at all saying that you should cut screens out of your life that you should cut social media out of out of your life. I'm not saying I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is if you are going to be an entrepreneur and a strategic thinker, we need to start treating our creativity like this very valuable asset that we need to protect, that we need to take care of in the long term. And one of the ways you maintain that, you maintain your cognitive abilities, your creative abilities, your problem solving skills, your your capacity to make connections and come up with new ideas, et cetera, is by carving out the time to do some of that like brain exercises, one of the easiest ones being that you just completely take 10 minutes and destimulate.
3: Does that kind of distinguish? Does that answer your question? Totally. Yeah, I totally agree with you that there is and I, I judge with uh, or Ben and I talk about this a lot. I feel like I am constantly stimulated like there is not a moment. And I also fear being alone with my thoughts at times because um, I'm just so used to not being alone with my thoughts. So yeah, I totally understand the whole just like carving out time to stare at a wall and do absolutely nothing is completely necessary. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree.
0: Before we get to Kate's question, I want to touch on something that Rohaf said that has been the biggest change in my life over the past year. You just mentioned how people wake up with their phones right next to their bed. And from the moment they wake up, they have instant stimulation. I, in the past few months, got a just standard alarm clock and I put it next to my bed and I put my phone in a different room. So, the alarm that's waking me up is not from my phone. Therefore, I'm not immediately seeing notifications. And it sounds so old school and weird. And it took, a moment to actually trust that the alarm clock would go off. Um, but it's been the biggest change in my life is not waking up to all the push notifications that we all do every morning and having even just one, two minutes of a clear head to start the day. That's been a big change that's, that's benefited me. So if anybody thinks that's, that's helpful to get an, like an old school alarm clock, which you can get on Amazon really easily, highly recommend trying it out. Uh Kate. That's
2: my next move, Ben. That's my next yeah. move. It's has <laughs> it been out. on my to-do list for a while since I don't like being on my phone in the morning. I love
0: it. <laughs> Try it out. All right, Kate. Nice to see you. What's your Hello?
2: Question? Thanks for hosting this clubhouse. Um of course. speaking of old school, I find that I get my best ideas in the shower. And I think a huge part of that is because I'm not on my devices, but also because I'm not a huge sit in a chair, stare at a wall kind of person. So in the shower, you know, I have an activity, but it's somewhat mindless. And I'm wondering, Rahaf, if you have a favorite thing to do that occupies your hands, but lets your mind wander so that in those downtime moments where I'm not trying to look at a screen, um, I'll still have something that's a foundation for that daydreaming.
1: I love that question. And one of the sort of pandemic discoveries um, that happened over the last year was I discovered much too my, my shock and the amusement of my family that I actually really enjoy gardening, um, which is really funny if you knew me because I'm like, ew, dirt, like I don't, you know. um. And so the past year I've been, you know, in the garden. And so what I started doing, which is a little hack, if you ever have that like mindless task, what I started doing in the morning when I'm writing is, or when I sit at my computer, I'll sit at my computer, I'll open up the document that I want to work on I'll just write the title of the document and I'll write maybe like one or two sentences of what I kind of want to talk about in that, say, chapter. And then I will just like close that document out and I will go into the garden for like 30 minutes and I'll just, you know, putter around there. And I have found that it is like such a great way because when I sit back at my computer, it's like those 30 minutes of just kind of like mull things over, I was thinking things, you know, like checking on the tomatoes, doing the whatever. And then you sit back at your computer and the words like just come so fast. So for me, I like to to garden. I like to walk my dog. I like to um, like bake. I like to just do anything that just... Isn't so like serious, you know, that gets me connected, that gets me outside, um, that lets me be a part of nature, lets me just be more aware, more in tune of those cycles. Those are like my top favorite
2: things to do. Thank you. I love that heading tip. That's so awesome. Definitely gonna use it.
0: Awesome. Thank you for the question, Kate. And if anybody else has any questions, I think we have time for one or two more. Uh, Feel free to raise your hand and we can bring you up to the stage. In the meantime, I'll ask one question I've had, which is, as a creative person, there are times where I feel a little bit of shame about my lack of success or output compared to peers who might be in a more linear path. So, for example, they're there a path. I'm just going to choose a generic one, like an accountant, right? You have a nine to five. You, you know you have a busy season during tax time. But if you show up during nine to five and you do a good job, you will get promoted and rise up accordingly. That's not always the linear case in creative fields, And so sometimes I feel like even though I've had really cool jobs... I just I just compare myself to other people in nonlinear paths or even in a creative field like my own who are just ahead of where I happen to be. And it made me think of something I read in Hustle and Float, which is even Jack Dorsey wants to be Steve Jobs. So there's a great story that Rahaf wrote about, which is Jack Dorsey was interviewing someone and the person had previously worked at Apple and talked about how Steve Jobs looked at himself as an editor, not a CEO, but an editor. And so then Jack Dorsey wanted to be known as an editor and would refer to himself as editing. And I thought that was so fascinating how that, that kind of sentiment transcends all the way to the top or what I perceive as the top. So I'm curious, Rahaf, if you have any, any insights or any strategies or mindset shifts that you think are helpful for somebody going through this headspace of, you know, I feel like I'm doing good work, but then I turn around and I see people who are ahead of me. Um, And I feel like what I'm doing just isn't enough. It's kind of like that shadow dream you talk about where if you're not successful, it's because you didn't work hard enough. Is there anything you advise for people who are going through that feeling?
1: Yes. And I mean, it's just my heart really goes out to you because I think so many of us relate to that. And so many of us, especially in creative fields, there's always people all around that seem to have it all figured out. Um, You know, I remember I had just hustle and float had just come out, which is like my third book that came out. And I read an article in the in the New Yorker about this like upstart uh, debut author that had, you know, written this beautiful, incredibly successful, like debut manuscript and publishers had like, you know, bid on it and it was an instant bestseller. And even though, like, I had just published my third book, I was like, oh man, like, (laughs) that really made me feel like I wasn't doing enough or that I wasn't good enough. And the thing is, is that there are so many things in our society that constantly try to tell us to do more by insinuating that what we're doing isn't enough. And the only way, and this is gonna be a little woo, but like, the only way that you can reclaim that power is for you to decouple, is to really go into your own, again, your own identity work, your own ethic work, your own relationship to success, your beliefs around success, the people that you admire. And in Hustle & Float, there is a list of questions that you can ask yourself, whether you're journaling, whether you have them with a friend, whether you just think about them during the day, that get you to start thinking about this conversation or this relationship that you have with work. Because what I'm seeing and what I've seen happen is there are so many assumptions that we make about ourselves, about our success, about what we're capable of, about what our future is going to look like, about whether or not we're doing a good job or a bad job. There are so many things that we just assume, like we thought them at one point, they sort of solidified in our brains as seemingly true, and then they just become integrated into our version of reality. And it's so important to challenge those assumptions You think, like, I'm not good enough, or I'm never going to make it, or um, I'm never going to be good as, as so-and-so. And I actually think that a good reframe is to look at what other people are doing Always as like a source of opportunity and learning. And one of my favorite books, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, she talks a lot about um, jealousy and envy, and in particular, envy as being a feeling that can give you a lot of clarity in terms of things that you want. And to look at envy as a signal from your um, you know, from your heart that there is something that there is an unfulfilled need that you are describing. But here's the trick the trick is, is that it might not be what that exact person has. So you might see somebody who you think is really successful and, you know, you might, you know, feel a bit of envy, but what you actually want is to be heard or to be seen or to be recognized for your work, or you might want autonomy or freedom of your time, or you might want the courage to do something, right? The problem is, is that so many of us spend so much of our time, much as Maddie alluded to, Filling our days with stimulation and ideas and things that we never stop to get to know ourselves, to see what limiting beliefs we've collected along the way, to see how we formed our identities, to see how we have formed our ideas of success and what it takes to be successful and who gets to be successful. So all of that just runs in the background of our OS and giving us all sorts of weird inputs, making us feel guilty, making us feel unworthy, making us feel unloved, unseen, When in reality, like we're the one that's driving that narrative. And so by recognizing how much, like by recognizing toxic hustle culture, when you see it, you start to break those bonds, post by post, message by message, you know, like Instagram quote by Instagram quote, you just start separating yourself and starting with the very, very base foundational belief that you are worthy as a human being. You are not your books. You are not your LinkedIn profile. You are not the number of podcast episodes you produced. You are not the number of awards that you've won. For Hustle and Float, I interviewed so many quote unquote successful people. And a lot of them, you know, talked about their lives in ways that you were like, oh, like you think once you get X, you're going to be happier. or once you achieve Y, you're going to be unhappy. But if you don't fundamentally believe that as a human being, you are just worthy just exactly as you are, then no amount of chasing, no amount of success, no amount of recognition is going to fill that gap. So to summarize that kind of ramble, um, there's the, the two things I would say is one, when you do feel envy or when you do feel like you're not doing enough, like one, be kind to yourself. Two, if you see other people that are succeeding, like don't take it personally, just look at it as a an opportunity to learn and be a proof of concept, right? Because so often, somebody does something that, you know, is very similar to what we're doing. And we think, oh, well, they've done it, or they've done it better. But I really think that there is more than enough room for everyone's creative expression to be set out into the world.
0: That is so powerful. I can't top that. Maddie, Did you have something you want to say?
3: Well, I was just gonna say that, I've been recently exploring my relationship to envy and jealousy. Um, and it's exactly what you said, Rahab, where I, you know, used to view jealousy as this like crippling uh, anxiety or a blocker for me to achieve my dreams I thought it was a completely negative emotion or you know something that I couldn't use whereas um again I'll drop Lacey Phillips uh, with her with her manifestation work um she also says that exact same thing that envy is actually you projecting that you want that thing that that person has so you should be using it as I mean, I guess using it as fuel, but you examine those people as your expanders, basically, you're expanding your subconscious to make yourself realize that you can actually have those things in your life. Um, So now, you know, I've always, I always say on OKSIS, I fall, I fall into the comparison trap a lot on Instagram. And this whole mindset shift of looking at jealousy and envy in a very different light, as, as more of a, oh, wow, like this is something, this is trying to tell me something about myself rather than something about them. That shift has helped me tremendously. And I actually feel a lot more inspiration and em- empowerment by individuals that I feel envious of now, um, which has been amazing to to see within my journey of uh, you know, relating to other people who are probably at, you know, different touch points um, in their career.
0: This has been a phenomenal hour. I'm so grateful to everyone here for joining. Thank you so much. As, as we sign off, I want to encourage people to follow our speakers on Clubhouse so you can be informed when they are speaking in rooms. You can follow me on Clubhouse and I'll, I'll turn it over to Scout, Rohoff and Maddie to plug the amazing work you're all doing.
3: Sure. So I'm Maddie, my sister Scout. We are the co-hosts of OKSIS Podcast, OKAYSIS. Feel free to listen to our episodes on female entrepreneurship, pop culture, self-worth, mental health, and um, anywhere podcasts are found. And you can follow me specifically at Maddie Mayo on Instagram.
2: Yeah, and I'll just uh, jump on that. You can also follow me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. I also am the founder of Scouts Agency, where we get women as guests on podcasts. So come follow, DM, and I'm really glad to connect with everybody here today. Yeah, I'm a here on Clubhouse.
1: We run rooms. I run the Forge Society on Clubhouse every Friday with LGO and uh, we're running an author series on Thursdays with Leadership Labs. So we've got a lot of great thinkers that are coming through. So I hope to see you in one of the other rooms and um, don't be afraid to say hi and connect.
0: Amazing. Thank you all.
3: Thank you, Ben. Bye.
0: I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for How Do You Do podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, how do you do podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, listen on Apple podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link, click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews. And all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that and I really, truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers and I'll see you back here next week.